Hello and welcome to Never Press News, the podcast which will give you an insight into the lives and minds of the most motivated and inspirational people I have the pleasure of knowing. I'm Tony Musgrave and this is Never Press News. Hello, welcome to Never Press News Season 2, Episode 9. This is the final podcast of Season 2 and I couldn't ask for a better person to be sat opposite right now. Um, we are a couple of days prior to going into the second lockdown and um, we felt that this had to be recorded now. And <laughs> I'll be honest, I've been pretty nervous about this whole thing. Um, the podcast is about people who inspire me and this individual, trying not to well up already, inspires me every single day. Um, we've been trying to get together since the beginning of season one. And when you hear Terry's story, I think you'll understand why it's been complicated and we've not been able to get the period of time together that we wanted in order to spend um, some quality time together and and share this story. Uh, Like I said, the people that come on this podcast are are here to inspire me. Um, Welcome to the podcast, Terry Camp. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. I I genuinely haven't been this nervous. My hands are shaking since <laughs> since I sat in a car park with Katie Weber recording episode number one. Um, you are the closest person I think I've done this with. And given the circumstances of why we haven't been able to get together and why we just haven't spent enough time together over the last couple of years, I don't think um, it's it's an absolute honour. So, um, so usual questions to start with. Um, can you remember where we met? I can. I was pregnant, and um, I'd recently got back in touch with Carly, and um, she was giving me hair extensions to cover up my arms because I didn't like them while I was pregnant. <laughs> okay, uh, vanity yeah. over uh, over yeah. anything else. Yeah. yeah, I think you're missing a bit of that. Out of that. I think you. You asked me if I was 44. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was actually 38, I think, 39. Yeah, actually um, younger than me. Yeah, yeah, you're older, by the yeah. way. Yeah. And I think from that moment, we really hit it off. I try not to blow too much smoke here, but what I would say is you are, without doubt, one of the most inspirational people I have ever had the pleasure of knowing. Um, you light up rooms when you walk into it. Every single person that knows you knows how kind and generous and thoughtful you are Um, and when you came back into Carly's life obviously I'd never even heard of you before she'd mentioned people from school and then you come back in and you didn't just come back in and you're Carly's friend you came back in and immediately we became friends and I would regard you as one of my best friends in the entire world and that's why this is quite difficult to do and um, I, I feel this is going to be a tear fest. I'm staring right opposite you at the table and I'm already welling up. So, um, yeah. Okay, enough about me talking. Um, where? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, I am a, a mum to a beautiful little lady. Um, I've been in the banking industry since I was 21. Um, and I have been fighting cancer on and off since I was 30. Yeah. You you said there about coming back into our life when you yeah. were pregnant. Um, you labelled yourself prior to that 
and during that pregnancy as the most non-maternal person that yep. has ever existed. Yeah. And so. Carly's on Facebook one day and she tries to explain to me this person and this situation and you'll never guess what. And I couldn't understand it because obviously I didn't go to school with you. I didn't I didn't know the history behind what had gone on. I didn't know about your lack of maternal instincts. <laughs> um but she said, you, you're just not going to believe it. There's no way. I can't believe it. I've read this on Facebook and I'm not having it. So I'm going to get in touch with her and we're, we're going to get in contact. And, and she did. Yeah. And it was true. <laughs> you yeah, was actually was. pregnant. Yeah. You know, my, my life was London, Gina shoes, Louis Vuitton handbags, um, partying. That that was what I did. Um, I was uh, I had cancer at 30 and they told me I couldn't have children. Um, if I did fall pregnant, the chances of keeping the baby would be very slim. So whether it was a defence mechanism or not, I don't know. But I resigned myself to the fact, OK, I'm not going to be a mum. But instead, I'm going to live the best life and go to all these fabulous places and do an amazing job work with fabulous people, which I'm still thankfully friends with now. Um, and then one day we found out that I was pregnant. Um, my initial thought was... The cancer's back because I had the same symptoms. Um, but my doctor said, well, look, we'll, we'll do a pregnancy test just to be on the safe side. Um, and found out that I was pregnant. You must have been sitting there going, no, mate, there's not a chance. Like, yeah, I can't have yeah, children. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so. 100%. And, you know, uh, it was um, it was a very interesting moment of, of thinking, OK, I don't feel very well, but maybe this is what pregnancy is. Um, and then having to go from, I've never even held a baby by this point. I've got, I've got to 30, 36 when I found out I was pregnant, um, and never held a baby, never changed a nappy, ne never fed a baby, never did anything like that. It was, to me, babies were called it or, yeah. thing, or screaming, puking poop bags was what I used to call them. Um, and even up until I'd planned the birth, I was going to have a C-section in Westminster. Um, and I booked in to have my hair done that morning and to have my makeup done that morning. It was all elective um, because of my history as well. They, they weren't comfortable with me giving birth naturally. Um, because of my scar tissue, they were concerned that I'd do irrevocable damage to my lady parts. Nice. Um, so it was a choice of actually we think that you should have a c-section i was more than happy with that i think the words <laughs> that i used with carly was i'm too posh to push yeah um i'd had the whole thing planned um even down to bought the baby a little london outfit um knew what knew which room i was going to be in and the room was overlooking westminster which was fabulous i had big ben in my background beautiful and um then she decided that she'd come six weeks early <laughs> best led plants and all yeah. that um yeah no plant survives well nothing survives babies does it you can plan whatever you want i yeah. think i've learned over the years you can make as many plans as you want but if the kid wants to change that then they'll change it whether that's puke themselves spill yeah. something down their new outfit yeah. decide to go to sleep or need feeding just yeah. before but um so she was going to be born six weeks early so you, you you was diagnosed with cancer the first time at 30 years old with yeah. cervical cancer you went through the treatment of that and then obviously they make that statement that there's no baby ever coming um 
six years later. Boom. <laughs> here she is. <laughs> yeah. Here she is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Sophia Grace is a beautiful little girl who arrives on the scene and completely changes your outlook on she life. Does. Yeah, she. Um, I I went into labour six weeks early, um, and I remember saying, "This isn't happening. This isn't my plan." Like this, the, the babies, because I I didn't want to know what sex the baby was either. So up until that point, I actually called her it. Um, we won't tell her. We won't tell her no, um, because I just I I think part of me still couldn't quite believe that I was pregnant, and I kept thinking, I'm going to lose the baby. I'd had the stitch put in to make sure that we could kind of keep keep the baby in as long as possible, um, but I maintained as healthy um, mentally and physically throughout the pregnancy to try and get my head around it I even had counselling while I was pregnant because I just couldn't understand how I could be pregnant really um, and I, I was so petrified that I was going to be a dreadful mum that I didn't have this maternal thing when when women are pregnant they kind of hold themselves in a way that's oh, I'm pregnant and they touch their belly and you could see them glowing whereas all I felt was I have this alien inside of me but <laughs> I, I, I just don't get it I, I'd gone from you know three months prior partying in London until four o'clock in the morning and just going straight to work and thinking that was it um, to then thinking I'm going to have to take care of another human being um, and how are we as a family going to readjust our lives to accommodate this thing that I don't even know what what do I do when it screams and all this other stuff um, so thankfully going to see the counsellor did really help uh, otherwise I don't know where I would have been what was the what was the aim of going to see the counsellor to get around my, I, so I'd had a, a bit of an eating disorder when I was younger um, and I couldn't deal with the getting bigger hence the reason why I got in touch with Carly for my hair um, so that was one aspect of it that I didn't want to be an unhealthy pregnant woman um, I was very conscious of whatever I was eating was obviously going towards the baby and I wanted to make sure that the baby was as healthy as possible unconsciously because you know I, I still couldn't get my head around the fact that I was pregnant but in the same instance I knew I needed to be as healthy as I could to make sure that the baby had the best start in life um, whatever that was but that also meant I had to eat which I wasn't used to doing um, and then the other aspect was bringing this human being into the world that I never thought I would be able to do and actually what that means how, how do I even do that how do I hold something that I didn't think I would ever be able to do so what did they say to you in the counselling what the fact that I'm there in the first place shows that I want to be a good mum. There's willing. As w yeah. There's willing there, isn't there? Yeah. Because you could have ignored that. Yeah, and I could have done, you know. And I remember the, uh, Carly, Carol and Kelly, we all sat round in a pizza place over in Festival Leisure Park. And I remember seeing their faces of, like, the wide mouth frog just yeah. gaping open because I was calling this thing inside of me it and that I was going to go back to work three months after the baby was born 
um, because that was my life. All I ever knew was London and that's what I wanted, you know, and we were going to, my mum was going to give up work so that she could look after the baby so that we could still have our lives together. Um, and actually, when it came down to it, when I did go into labour early, I was given a choice of you can either push the baby out naturally and hopefully her lungs will kick into gear so that she doesn't need to go into NICU um, or you can have the C-section. Um, she will have to go into NICU, but any damage that's done to you will be avoided um, because they were concerned the scar tissue that was already there could basically rip me open and I would need surgery. And that was the moment that it kicked in, that my the feeling of I need to protect this child, that was the first time I ever felt like a mum. And I said, like, you do whatever you've got to do to me. I don't care. Just make sure that this baby is okay. It's a really weird feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the, the, I know so many people that say that they're not sure, they don't understand, they can't, but not necessarily believe it's happening, but they don't, they don't feel ready for it. And I don't think anyone feels particularly ready for parenting. No. Um, I don't think there's any books or TV shows or, or any amount of um, workshops you can go to prior that will arm you with that yeah. moment that that child, that child comes out. And, you know, I don't want to get too soppy, but it's kind of like, the most beautiful moment in the world in the most disgusting surroundings mind yeah i mean I, I don't i was very lucky although i went into labor six weeks early um i was in hospital for they kept me in for a week so technically on paper i was in labor for a week but um i thought it was fabulous i had my legs up on the bed and i was like you know all the monitors and carly would ring me every morning and just say how are you doing today yeah great i thought I, to be honest even then i don't really think i understood what the ramifications were of actually this baby is coming um whether i blocked it out or not i don't know um it was only at that point when they'd said these are your two choices um, that it really kicked in. And, and then she was, she was out in six minutes um, <laughs> from when they, you know, when, when I started, they said, okay, right, push six minutes. Um, and this just overwhelming. She, she wasn't particularly well when she was born, obviously because she was a preemie. So they did take her off straight away. Um, and I just remember saying to my mum, um, you need to go with her. You need to make sure that she's okay. I didn't worry about me. My my bladder went into shock and I was very poorly after she was born. That didn't bother me at all. I had all these nurses around me making sure that I was okay and my only concern was her. And I think that's when it really hit me of everything about me prior to that, you know, booking in to get my hair done the morning that I was going to have the baby and having my makeup done and having a photographer there to welcome this baby into the world suddenly was just like what were you doing yeah. seriously it's not it's not something to go on Facebook it's if this is a moment you are a mum now um, you know we are parents we need to we need to step up and be parents 
I think your priorities just shift, that's all. Okay. And I don't think there's any right or wrong prior um, because I don't think you have a choice afterwards. Your priority shifts and it just turns into their, their, their health most importantly. But yeah. everything of theirs comes yeah. first, absolutely everything. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we both ended up finding ourselves in the situation where we've, we've gone from, you know, thinking it's acceptable which it is you know if you don't have any children you can go out every every night and we'd go out and we'd have dinner and we'd have drinks and and all of a sudden our our gear shifted to actually we want to be at home we want to be at home with a baby and you know we want to spend our money on bits and pieces for her rather than spending you know I would never dream now of spending 300 pounds on a pair of shoes but at the time why wouldn't you? Yeah, and I don't see any any harm with that. You know, you as a, and still are a hard-working individual. You yeah. was earning your own money and it was yours to spend on whatever you felt still like. My own money. I, I know, I know. I'm not accusing you of not. <laughs> um, and I just think your priorities just completely shift and baby yeah, becomes number one. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy because that little girl is now at school and whilst we're sitting here today, her school pictures have arrived. Oh gosh, I know. Where has that time gone? I, I, honestly, it does feel like yesterday since I was sitting in your kitchen. Yeah, that time has flown, yeah. mate. Absolutely flown by. Yeah. Um, she's doing amazing. She's at school. She's. Yeah. Uh, I saw her last week, and she's as funny as ever. Yeah. Um, she is total a little madam. Yeah, she is, and I don't know if that is because of what's been going on, or if that's just how she would have been anyway. Um, she's very mature for her age. Yeah, I think she's, and we'll get into that subject, but I think she's been exposed to things that maybe a lot of children don't have to be exposed to. And I know you've done that in a way that is right for you and is right for your family. And I think I think it has matured her, yeah. the whole situation. Yeah. And I do worry about what that will have, but it, it what impact that will have in her future, I, I genuinely, I don't know. And I hope that I will be around long enough to see what, what kind of person she will grow up into. Um, but it is very difficult to shield them from certain things. You know, when she was, she was only a year old when we found out, um, so it was quite easy to shield her because yeah. she didn't really understand what was going on. But, you know, now she's four, she knows what's going on. She she understands that nurses are going to keep coming. Um, so let's, let's go back a little bit then to the point where, you know, we've talked, you've been diagnosed with cervical cancer initially. You've then had the miracle child that was never meant to be here and... I'm a big believer in fate, and and I I truly believe that was meant to happen. And yeah, yeah. The the years that follow on from that will will probably explain where my reasoning comes from for believing that was meant to happen. Because I think, in terms of um, a legacy that you you're gonna you're gonna leave behind potentially. Yeah. yeah. This is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. it so I had a discussion with one of my previous previous oncologists um, about how I was even able to fall pregnant in the first place. Um, And it actually works out that the size of the tumours that they found 
um, because it, it was it's bowel cancer, um, completely unrelated to the cervical cancer. Uh, apparently, I'm just unlucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, it they they seem to believe that the tumor was already there, and because my body was fighting so hard to grow this tumor. Um, I was actually on antibiotics at the time for a lung infection and they think that it and steroids to try and help with this lung infection because I just couldn't shift it. They think that's because the cancer was already there, which then meant I was able to fall pregnant. Yeah. And because of the steroids meant that I was able to stay pregnant long enough for them to put the stitch in. If they had have found the cancer, if they'd have done the blood test, at the same time that I had the pregnancy test, they would have made me abort the baby. Yeah. So there is a part of me that thinks if they'd have found the cancer earlier, maybe I would have had a different diagnosis. But if they did find the cancer earlier, I wouldn't have her. So it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword of I've got this beautiful baby, but now an incurable disease. Or I'd be alive, no baby. I'm going to pick her every time. Of course, of course. So when you sat down for the second time to be told, yeah. first time, it's hard. Yeah. Second time, you're now unlucky, as they're claiming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... So I remember sitting, actually, to the day, four years ago, with the girls because it was Kelly's birthday yeah. and we were sat round um, a restaurant table. Happy birthday, Kelly, by Happy the way. Happy birthday, Kelly, darling. Um, and I'd said, look, you know, because we, we talk about everything. Um, I've got this issue. Um, I've started to have blood in my toilet. I've been going for a while. I'd lost weight. I was in my pre-pregnancy clothes the day I left hospital. Um, I'd only put on about, I think it was about 12 pounds I'd put on throughout the whole pregnancy, which isn't really a no. lot. Um, and I'd felt, still felt unwell. Um, and the girls had said, that, you know, it could be hemorrhoids, could be piles, could be, you know, whatever. I'd been to the doctors a couple of times and they'd said it's because I was a geriatric mother. Hilarious. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's the shock of having a baby yeah. and being told that you couldn't have one. Um, maybe it's, because she was out so quickly, because she was out in six minutes, yeah. maybe there was a slight tear there, and it will repair itself. This was in the November, um, and then my partner and I went on holiday in the July, um, and he said, look, you're still losing quite a bit of weight, and you're eating lots. Are you okay? And I said, to be honest, I really, I'm not feeling that well. I'm still not feeling well. And I started having nosebleeds again, which for me is an indicator when I'd had the cervical cancer before, I kept getting nosebleeds a lot. I now know this is my... When I start to have nosebleeds, I know it's back. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that at the time. But he said to me, look, you've now seen six different doctors. You're still losing weight. You've still got blood in your toilet. You're having nosebleeds. You're tired all the time. It can't just be because you're a geriatric mother. It can't just be because you're a first-time mother at 37 now. Need to dig a little bit deeper. You've got private health care. When you get back from holiday, just make an appointment. For me, just make an appointment. I 
I don't know whether I thought that there was something else going on. I certainly probably didn't think that it was cancer again. Um, so, yeah, we got back from holiday on the Sunday, went back to work on the Monday, made an appointment with a private doctor. Um, and by the Friday of that week, I was diagnosed with bowel cancer. Um, and he, he'd said that, I, I don't remember the conversation. I remember coming out and um, having every other kind of diagnosis apart from the cancer was kind of like an afterthought. It probably isn't bowel cancer. Of course, it's not going to be bowel cancer. I'm like 37. I'm going to have bowel cancer at 37. Yeah. I'm not not that old. Um, and then I, I was booked in for a colonoscopy on the following week. So I'd had lots of, I had to have an MRI, CT, blood tests. The morning of the colonoscopy, the, my oncologist at the time, or the surgeon rather, came in and said, and I remember my partner was with me at the time, and he said, look, I, I, I am going to do the colonoscopy anyway because I, I want to run some tests, but you do have bowel cancer. And I can see from your scans already, it's quite advanced. Um, you have had this for quite a while. You're already stage four. And I, I didn't really know. I've, I've had family that have died from cancer, but even then I kind of just blocked it over. Um, but we think we caught it early enough. We'll do the biopsy and then we'll come up with a plan. Um, I think we'll be able to just cut it out, no problem. And you can carry on with your life. Okay, that was good. Um, so he gave me a week to get my head around it. Um, so within two weeks of going to my private doctor, I'd been diagnosed and then I was planned to be operated on. Um, and in my head, I thought it was going to be super straightforward. <laughs> um, they were just going to... How very like you. Well, I, I guess in my head, I thought, well, they're just going to go in, sorry for the graphic details, but go in by my bottom, cut this little bad boy out, um, like they did with my cervix, um, and I'd be free to go home. And then the reality sat in of the meeting of, um, we're actually going to have to cut you from, you know, the, the bottom of your front, um, just above your pubic line, to maybe up to your rib cage, um, we are going to have to pull some of your colon and your bowel out and you're going to need a bag. Um, and that was a bit of a shock. Um, I don't think I was ready for that. Um, I'm still shaking now thinking about it. Um, so that evening I got the girls round and Kelly said she was going to knit me a poop bag. Um, and that's pretty much how we've dealt with it ever since of, we laugh and joke about things because it's easier to laugh. For me, I find it easier to laugh and joke about stuff than it is to sit there dwelling on the... I could be sitting here with a with a poop bag right now. Um, thankfully, um, my colon was a lot longer than he anticipated, so they managed to cut a third of my colon and bowel out, and I didn't need a bag, which was amazing. So I was back home within a week. Um... And he was still hopeful that I wouldn't need chemo. Um, Sophia's about a year old at this point. She was a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was just, um, she was about 15 months old at this point. Um, so that was hard, leaving leaving her 
that that was the first time when I was being a mum, dad, Justin and Sophia were all there to walk me down to the theatre. That was hard because it's the first time that I'd been operated on since having her where I suddenly thought, oh, my God, this is a massive surgery. What if I don't wake up? I'm leaving, you know, baby, baby's dad, mum and dad. Like my world, the the four most important people in my life, I'm leaving them, and I might not wake up from this. But the stark reality of that is, without that surgery, you'd be leaving them anyway. Exactly, yeah. So, but as it was, it was fine. It was a success in as far as they got the tumor out. Um, but unfortunately, they then discovered that it had travelled to. Um, various different lymph nodes um, on my para-aortic chain which meant I needed chemotherapy um, but at the time they thought it would be a case of uh, belt they called it uh, belt and braces yeah. very small amount but we'll give you six weeks of chemotherapy tablets um, and that should should do its job You'll be able to go back to there's work. a number of people that I'm a, that I know that have had very similar treatments yeah. where they've had sections taken out of the bowel, they get it fused back together, they take the treatment for six weeks, and you know, um, fingers crossed and, and good luck to those guys that they've never had yeah. a repeat of it. Yeah, yours wasn't quite as simple <laughs> as that. No, but nothing you ever bloody do is, no. mate. So no, it um, yeah, unfortunately, um, it then transpired that that didn't work so the next stage was to do um, some radiotherapy combined with more chemotherapy um this is five years ago now isn't it five years ago no is it four years ago it'd be um it was three years ago oh, it's only four. Yeah, yeah it'd be three years ago three years yeah so in three years i've had i'm just about to start my sixth round of radio and chemo and i'm sitting here today and we're waiting to start recording the podcast and he said i might have to wait a minute because my nurse has got to come and she's arrived with a truckload of drugs <laughs> <laughs> yeah. literally i've just watched her count this stuff out and i have no idea how you're able to sit and accept that that's just part of your life now it just feels yeah. how, so if i'm gonna ask, how do you accept that um, I think originally when they'd said, we'll give you this chemo and then you'll be free to go. And then we'll give you this radio and chemo and then you'll be free to go. Okay, we're going to give you this round of chemo and then you'll be free to go. Okay, that didn't work. So we're going to give you more uh, radiotherapy, but a uh, targeted radiotherapy and that will get rid of it. That will get rid of it. Okay, well, that didn't work. Um and you know uh, you get to a point when um I've, I've skipped a couple of steps but but basically we'll go back yeah um if it's a choice between not doing it anymore and not seeing the people that you love anymore or you get up each day and you choose to fight then while i've got the emotional and physical and mental capacity to do that then that's what i'll do that's when you put it like that the point of you being on the podcast was about inspiration and 
And that's what I think, just what you've said there is what inspires me the most because I don't, I don't know, trying not to cry right now, <laughs> um, I don't know if I would would have done that. You do because you look at your kids and you look at your wife. You know, I, I, I look at my parents and I look at Justin and I look at Sophia and I look at my friends. I'm not ready to give that up. I'm not ready to lose that. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, unfortunately, I am no longer curable. Um, and that's hard because I don't know how long I can do the treatment for. You know, if this latest one doesn't work, then it means that I may have to do the awful treatment, which I've had before and twice, and I hated it. Um, only this time, it's every other week for the rest of my life until I can't take it anymore. And if I can't take it anymore, that means I'm not here anymore. Um, and when you're faced with that, unfortunately, we found out in lockdown, which was super hard because you can't even have a face to face conversation with your oncologist. It was we tried to do video and it wasn't working. So it was a phone call. Um, excuse me. And it was a phone call of I'm really sorry. There's nothing more I can do. We're going to give you this treatment every other week. Well, what happens if I can't do it? Then I can't guarantee you'll be here by Christmas. Um, I, when I said about the inspirational stuff, I, I've never seen any, and you want to take it back a couple of stages, so if you want to do that, please do. I, I've never seen the down days. I haven't seen one, and that, for me, is remarkable. I'm not sure there isn't any. You just don't let us see them. No. And it's almost like you do it for us. Yeah. And that's it is. kind of the strongest thing I think anybody can do is that even at a moment where they are at their weakest, possibly, yeah. there's still you still think about everybody else and what they're going through at the same time. And there's a point where I think... For fuck's sake, Terry, will you just be completely selfish and make it all about you for <laughs> once? You, I've never had a phone call that hasn't started with, hi, how are you? And there's never, there just doesn't appear to be these down moments, but there surely is. Um, yeah, there, there is usually at two, three o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep and I'm pacing up and down wondering, you know, am I going to get to see her? You know, in, in March, my concern was I'm not even going to get to see her at Christmas. Um, which made me make the decision to move oncologists um, and look for a, a different different path because that wasn't good enough for me. Um, and that, that gave me a few worried nights, um, being told you're no longer curable. Well, just because one person says that's the truth doesn't mean to say it is. Unfortunately, it is. Um, but you have... I know, I know you well enough to know that you weren't going to accept that as an no. answer initially. You was always going to go and seek another opinion yeah. or go and figure out potentials for something new. Yeah. Is there a new drug on the market? Is there a new form of treatment? You was never going to not exhaust that route. And, that, and that's, why, that's why it's so inspiring because at some point, I don't know if I would have just gone, I've had enough of this. I can't. I couldn't keep going. It's almost like you have hope 
and just as it's starting to come through, it's yeah. taken away again, and that's yeah. happened on a number of occasions so far. And you're still five sitting, <laughs> yeah, exactly, five times, right? Yeah. We're on number six, you know, yeah. and the we're sitting here this morning having a coffee, like laughing and joking, like there's nothing happening. How do you, how, I don't know how you do it. I want to know how you do it. How do you remain positive when the answer is is inevitable? Yeah. Because I just think, it, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know how much time I've got left. I genuinely don't know how much time I've got left. And I make a decision, it's a choice. Do I sit here and cry? Do I sit here and worry about, you know, the people that I love that I'm leaving behind? Do I worry about, am I going to get to see her be five? Am I going to get to see her be ten? Or do I focus on the fact that while there is a treatment, while there I have an option, that's what I do. And I get up and technology is amazing. Um, and if I'd have had this cancer ten years ago, if they'd have found it ten years ago, I'd be dead. But there are, even in the past two years, one of the blood tests that I had done wasn't available two years ago, and that's given me the option to have a um, cholesterol tablet that helps slow the growth of my tumours down. Two years ago, that blood test wasn't even available. So if I can keep going, maybe in another two years' time, they'll find something that can slow the tumours, the growth of the tumours down enough to give me three months, six months without treatment. There's always the hope. And while, while I'm well enough, then that's what I'll keep doing. If I can keep doing it, I'll keep doing it. Just digressing slightly, welcome to podcasting. The neighbours have decided to do some <laughs> building works in yeah. the middle of the uh, serious yeah. podcast we're doing. Yeah. doesn't matter where you go, how much time you put in, somebody will make a noise in the background. Mm -hmm. Excuse the noise in the background, the neighbours are doing some building work. Yeah. Um, you, we just talked there about the first time you went through this, Sophia was around one years old and yeah. would be, you have no idea what's going on yeah. and, and their worries are on you and you can kind of shield her completely from it. You mentioned as well that as Sophia's got a little bit older, it's not just about you living with cancer, it's about your family living with cancer yeah. and everybody around is aware of your situation, including Sophia. How, yeah. how have you approached that and how have you explained it to Sophia in a way that a child can comprehend what's going on, understand it and still remain childlike, if that's the right phrase. Because um, it, it feels like an adult's problem. Yeah. But how you've managed this has been amazing. One of my first chemo nurses um, from when I was having chemotherapy at home, also upside to um, having stage four secondary incurable. You get to have chemotherapy at home. You don't have to Bonus. go out. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we're in lockdown. You can't go yeah, out anywhere. Exactly. Um, she was lovely and she bought Sophia um, a Peppa Pig nurse's box so that she could 
be a nurse at the same time as the nurse was here so that it made it almost fun in a way Sophia would um, do my blood pressure she'd listen to my heartbeat she always gets to put the plaster on my port once I've had my bloods done and um, if I've had chemotherapy through my port she would always want to put the plaster on afterwards um, which is good in a way because it means when other children hurt themselves she's the little nurse at school which is quite sweet yeah um it is hard because you do worry how much you're exposing them to stuff um i've tried to shield her from the yucky bits um like the, the being sick and the being really unwell um thank goodness the first time i bowed twisted she was young enough to not really understand um you know i was carted off to hospital in an ambulance but she was maybe 18 months old yeah. so she doesn't remember that um and the second time it happened she was actually with my mum and dad um we were having a, a couple's night um and unfortunately ended up with me being in hospital um but she yeah she doesn't she doesn't remember that which is fantastic um but there are things that she does remember like me being sick at night she would get up and come in and rub my back while I was being sick in the bathroom and say don't worry mummy I'm here which whilst is lovely is also heartbreaking which is why I think I'm I shield people from that side of it because it is upsetting for them which then makes me upset so seeing my parents get really upset for me is heartbreaking seeing Justin get upset is heartbreaking seeing my friends get upset is heartbreaking because I'm the one that's doing it to them not intentionally though. no I know but even us having this conversation you know you got upset which breaks my heart because I'm causing you pain and I know it's not intentional but if I can shield people from that that in turn doesn't make me feel as bad. <laughs> okay, yeah. So as Does long as there's sense? an outcome for you, is yeah, you, you know, know because we, it's we don't all... need some of us don't need protecting. So you you don't have to protect. But by all protecting of us. you guys, if you're it protects me, and that's then that's okay. Yeah. But please don't ever just protect us for the sake of it, because you know we our job. We want to support you through this. We want to help you through it as much as we can, and. Whatever that means, I don't know, and so don't don't feel that way around. I know, I know. So, Sophia's four years old now, yeah, and her mum lives with an incurable cancer. Which saying those words out loud just makes me feel so crap. Yeah, gutted. Um, when you wake up every day, yeah, is it the first thing you think about? No, usually it's Sophia saying, Mummy, I want milk. Yeah, I want milk. <laughs> Again, go back to that first bit about the priorities. Yeah. They, they come first, right? Yeah, even, exactly. even when there's an incurable disease yeah. sitting in the background, yeah. their needs come first. Yeah. I just, it never goes away. No, it doesn't. And that's, that's, that's probably what I see as the, as an observer, as the hardest thing is that this is, there is no more, the end is just a stage yeah. which results in you no longer being here. Yeah. 
But look, we're all but going we don't to know die that is. at some point anyway, right? So you either wake up every day thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die, which we're all going to do. Let's face it, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to be here forever, whether you make it to 60, 70, 80, 100. We're all going to die at some point and we don't all wake up saying, oh, I'm going to die because that death is inevitable. From my perspective, you know, I just have to make every day count because I don't know how long I've got. But it's no different than somebody that's got severe depression you've got that black dog with you every single day and it's a choice you get up each day and you fight someone that's got bipolar it's a choice you get up each day and you fight someone that's got heart disease or you know or even asthma you make that choice every time you take your asthma pump i'm going to keep fighting so i'm going to take my asthma pump you've got low blood pressure you've got high blood pressure so you've got to take heart medication it's a choice you don't take your heart medication, you're going to have a heart attack. It, that's what it comes down to for me. It's no different. Every day is a choice. It, yeah. I, I can't, I'm not trying to disagree with you by any stretch. I just, and I don't want to make it any more dramatic than it, than it already is. I think it's about, and I'm not even thinking about it from your perspective right now. That's what's so selfish about this. I'm thinking about it from my perspective. But that's human about, nature. I'm putting my thoughts into my head about how I feel about it. And uh, it's not fair. And it isn't. It isn't. But, but you, make a jo- you make a decision every day to get up and be healthy, don't you? Fitness for you is important. Yeah. Every day you wake up, you make that decision... It's an unconscious decision that you get up each day and you do your workout because you want to be healthy. You want to be healthy so that you're around long enough for your kids, so that you can enjoy your life. It's no different. Someone that's on antidepressants, if they don't take that tablet every day, they're going to be depressed. They might make the decision to not be here anymore. But they choose to. They choose to fight. There was no doubt in my mind that during this podcast, at some point, you would tell me what I need to do, <laughs> and that I would actually be the person not asking the questions. Or and that's what you do. You you literally bring absolute positivity, and and everything's relative, and you put perspective on things that most people I know can't do, including myself. I can't work this out, and you can't fix it which means that makes it really difficult. And I think what you've been able to do is admit that it can't be fixed, accept that, and then build your own plan around that. And that plan is so flexible because it could be... Get me upset. It could be in a couple of months' time. It could be in a couple of years' time. And and that's that unknown. How how you cope with that unknown baffles me um, because I can't cope with it, even not in this situation and it's not me um and that's why you constantly inspire me um to to put things into perspective you know when one of your best friends in the entire world is may not be here in a certain amount of time you still walk through the door smiling and i just 
I just can't work it out. And 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 I knew this would happen in this podcast that one I would end up upset. <laughs> this is why it's like this is why it took two seasons <laughs> to get to this point. But the other thing is I knew I would not be able to work this out. When I've met with other people throughout the podcast, we've been able to understand their I've been able to say, oh, they they attribute hard work to their performance or they attribute um, you know, a certain mindset or a certain way of life to to getting their success yours is completely different to that because yours has an inevitable outcome yeah that you can't change but somehow you manage to not ignore but to put it to one side and still continue but that still is hard work and still is a mindset because i i do i've become vegan pretty much um, I try and work out still every day, even when I'm on treatment, I try and do some form of exercise, which is a choice. Um, I choose to try and keep my head and body and mind and everything as calm as possible, because if I let the demons take over, it's the same with any kind of mental illness, physical illness. If you let the demons take over, that's all you become. And I don't want that. I don't want to be the person that's known as, oh, God, you know, it's my friend over there, she's dying. And I know I joke about it, but I want whatever time I have left for myself, my family, my friends to be enjoyable. And just because I am incurable doesn't mean to say that I can't use the time that I've got to to enjoy my life. I don't want to be sitting there in six months time a year's time saying god i wish i'd have done this i wish i'd have done that i know that when the end does come i've done everything that i can to for uh, i guess they say you know forewarned is forearmed i know at some point i'm going to die from it so that's already a given but it's what i do in the meantime before i do die what I can do for myself and my family and my friends that doesn't just revolve around cancer. Yeah. And you do that well. Let me just tell you, you do that very well. Um, so well at times you fool us into forgetting. Yeah. And I do, I fool myself into forgetting as well. And I do, you know, I do lull myself into a full sense of security every now and then think, oh, yeah, don't need to worry about that now. That's, yeah. that's done. Um, and then, bang, it, it comes back again. Um, but that is the roller coaster, um, you know. But it's the same with everyone's life. The, the path that we think we're on isn't necessarily the path that we end up on. And this, this constant roller coaster of, you know, you and Carly, you guys... You know, you, you've had your own ups and downs with life and with health and, you know, you with your back. And even when you were, you know, fighting wars and all this, like, scary stuff, your plan isn't necessarily the plan that you've got now. Still managing to deflect all of this story back <laughs> onto me, aren't you? Somehow. Right, but, um, but we all have a plan when, <clears throat> and it, none of us have, none of us end up doing what we think we're going to do. And it's what we do in between that part from points A to Z when we all end up inevitably dying 
that we are able to navigate through our lives and go, okay, fine, well, that's not what I think was going to happen, but we do this instead. And it's how you get over that and you keep... Your ability to adapt to the new situation has been nothing short of remarkable. Constantly changing surroundings. But that's also because I've got support around me. I've got loving family and I've got loving friends that are always there and get my sick sense of humour, um, as you found out earlier with the nurse sitting here. You you just mentioned there about it being a roller coaster. We go back to the beginning of this podcast 50 minutes ago. We talked about um, a party girl working in London who'd been diagnosed with cancer once, treated, told never pregnant, and here we are five years later. Mm. having gone through five sets of cancer treatment, a number of surgical procedures, and still sitting there with a big smile on your face. Uh, You amaze me. What's next? Lockdown. Lockdown 2.0 starts in, what, 48 hours from now? Well, the upside is for me, at least my treatment, I'm not going to be feeling like Billy No Mates. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be at home. I was yeah. here when they dropped the, the tablets off. There's enough to kill Yeah. 100 people in that box, and that's going to make you better. Apparently. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm amazed by what you've got to do to, to get through this. Mm. Four weeks of lockdown, I'm not going to see you for that four weeks. Video you'll, calls you'll on. See there. me on the other side. I see you on the other side. <laughs> yeah. um, wedding plans yep. on hold. Well, yeah, I'm. You know, we're we're toying with the idea of bringing it forward. Maybe um, that'll be the third or fourth time we've moved the wedding now. Um, but you know, we. Most people are just getting pissed off for moving it once or twice. You've moved it four times. Yeah. And you've gone through chemotherapy five times yeah. in that period. <laughs> yeah. And you're still not pissed off. No. Um, Look, you know, it, it's, we know we love, love each other. Um, being married doesn't change that. Um, you know, it, it could be that we get married as early as February next year. Um, or we keep, keep to the August date. Um Ultimately, we know we love each other, and that's that's the only thing that I think. As long as you have love, then it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you can keep fighting, then it doesn't matter. Terry, I'm going to stop talking now <laughs> and end this podcast before I burst into tears and it's all recorded. I hope the treatment goes all right over the next four weeks. You know where I am if you need anything. Always. You're going to be amazing. You're going to come out the other side. I genuinely can't wait to see you walk down the aisle um, and look amazing. You always look fabulous. It might I'm sure. be by a webcast. I'm sure. <laughs> it might be a Zoom wedding. Yeah. But however it works out, I genuinely can't wait to see you walk down the aisle. Um, how you do this, I, I, I'm lost for words. I don't know how you remain hopeful in a world that has a limited amount of hope for you. Um, you're an amazing mum, you're an amazing wife to be, and most of all to me, you're an amazing friend. Thank you very much. That's Never Press News, season two, the final episode, potentially the final episode I ever do. And if it is the final episode I ever do, I'm glad it was done with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, darling.